Welcome to The Dish, the culinary travel podcast focusing on the stories behind world-famous foods. We are your hosts, Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Join us for tasty histories, destination food guides, and more. In this episode, a brief history of Lithuania and its culinary landscape. Lithuanian potato culture, from fear to obsession. Plus some essential potato dishes to eat in Lithuania and the capital, Vilnius. Uh, Hello everybody, welcome to another episode of The Dish. Another episode, another dish. Tasty, tasty time with Tomo and Mexi. Is that what's happening? I don't know. <laughs> it's just what came out of my mouth. Sure. All right, then. Well, okay, so what's happening today? We're talking about potatoes, mainly. Oh, I know where we're going. Yeah, we're going to Lithuania. Country of Lithuania. Once a lot bigger than just a country, it was massive and took over like huge amounts of countries that today we know places like Belarus. Latvia, Ukraine, yep. lots of parts of Russia. Was there bits of Poland as well? well? Bits of Poland, but Poland they had, were, they they were like allies. An, they have an agreement, don't they? They had an agreement. So I'm going to talk about that. So yeah, there were parts of Poland that were sort of part of Lithuania, but it was more part of Poland and Lithuania as a team. Yeah. Rather than... They were buddies. Yeah, they were buddies who had a shared Commonwealth thing going on. But... I mean, all of those stories about Eastern Europe loving potatoes, I think that all came from Lithuania. Yep. Potatoes and beer. Potatoes and beer. There is just potatoes with everything. I think you get potatoes with a side of potatoes. I'm pretty certain I did see that. (laughs) I I think we did actually see this one time. I think it was potato pancakes with a side of fries. Yep. I'm like, are you serious? Potatoes and potatoes. I think there was one thing I saw that was like potatoes wrapped in carbs with a side of potatoes as well. It's, it's all, it was a lot of carbs. It's just a lot of carbs. But there is a lot of tasty carbs, and there is a lot of other dishes as well. It's not all potatoes. So we're going to talk about a bit of both, a whole bunch of potato dishes and a whole bunch of other dishes as well. So that's, that's Lithuania. What to eat in Lithuania? Lots of things. There's a big article coming together that will be out now by the time you're listening to this episode. You can go to foodfundtravel.com slash Lithuania podcast and at least 25 different dishes on there. <laughs> That is lots. That's there plenty. There is no way you'll be able to eat through 25 dishes unless you stay there for like 25 days. I don't know. We ate through a lot while we were there. Yeah, but that's us. That's true. Okay. Now, before we get started on a, a quick history and then, of course, the food, wanted to bring something up because this was an interesting thing that we heard a few times when we were traveling around the region. In Vilnius, they said Vilnius is the center of Europe. Yes. And Vilnius is the capital. And then we went to Minsk, and they said Minsk yes, is the, the center, center of Europe. Europe. <laughs> we're like, um, what? Because they were literally trying to say, like, even, like, geographically, like, you look at it. Is that what it was, like, on a map? Geographically, it's the center of Europe. Yes, yeah. that's exactly what they're trying to say. Yeah. And the reason for this sort of makes sense, because when you look at, like, Lapland and Finland, it's so far north. And then, like... Georgia technically is part of Europe and like the Caucasus Mountains and and all that like far like that Russia bit. Yep. Like past the Black Sea. Technically that's all still Europe landmass, not Asia. 
So they're like, well, actually, when you look at it like that, there's this massive block on the other side of us, and that makes us the center of Europe. Because ideally, when you look at a map, you would probably not say that. You'd, you'd be, be like, like, oh, it's Germany, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. You'd be like, like you're kind of upper right of Europe. Now, the thing with who is the center of Europe, it really depends on what you classify as Europe, whether you classify it politically, geographically, are tectonically. They still, are, they, are they still geographically the center now that there's no England involved? <laughs> <laughs> Too soon? They're not politically the centre, maybe not, without the UK. But then <laughs> Ireland is still in the EU, which means the actual boundary is still past the UK anyway. Uh, the UK is just a blob in the middle. Yeah, so just knows? in the way. Just in the way now. So anyway, just as a quick thing, if you go there and you go on tours, they're going to tell you it's the centre of Europe. And then you're going to go to other countries nearby and they'll also say it's the centre of Europe. And the reason that Vilnius or near Vilnius as the centre of Europe, is there was a 1989 French National Geographic Institute survey that eventually, like, after deciding which countries Europe and which weren't, they went, yeah, it's Lithuania. That's probably the most reliable survey. So, yes, Lithuania probably has it. But the other survey, and when you go to Minsk and they tell you about this, their survey that said it's in near Lake Show in Belarus uh, was done by the country of Belarus, oh, a known dictatorship, dictatorship. <laughs> the last dictatorship <laughs> of Europe. And apparently their study found that, surprise, surprise, Belarus is the center of Europe. Who would have thought that would be the outcome? So, I, I mean, I don't know. I can't pass any judgment on that. I am not a National Geographic Institute scientist. So, uh, but there you go. So, that's a fun random start to this episode. There you go. We're heading to the center of Europe. Yeah, quite possibly. Everyone thought it was Eastern Europe. Actually, it's the center of Europe. So, quick brief history of Lithuania, which is not going to be that brief, but I'm going to try and smash through I it. I couldn't in my, imagine it being brief my at bullet all. point ways. I'm going to get through this as quickly as I can, just so that you got a bit of an overview, because to understand how the cuisine works, actually, like the entire episode to understand the history of some of these dishes, you can't understand it unless you know something about Lithuanian history. Yeah. None of it makes sense. Like some of the other countries, you're like, oh, sure, a bit of influence over here, a bit of influence over there. But the difference is with Lithuania, they literally were one of the central countries of that region. Yeah. So everybody around them was sort of controlled, influenced by them. But they, of course, were then in reverse influenced by the, all of those cultures that they were sort of the, the lords of. The dukes, in fact, is what they were. So... For those of you who don't know already, modern-day Lithuania is a country on the southeast corner of the Baltic Sea. So that's like, it's northern Europe. It's the big sea at the top of, of northern Europe. But in consideration of the actual sea itself, it's actually the eastern, southeastern corner. So Latvia to the north of Lithuania, Poland to the southwest. Probably most people know where Poland is. Yeah, I, I think most yeah, people have Those Baltic states up, up just yeah. after Poland to the north. If you don't know much about that region, there's three Baltic states up there. Lithuania, Latvia, and Estonia, and Lithuania is the one at the bottom, and yeah. Vilnius is the capital. But of course, as with most of Europe, because this is a relatively central spot, in fact, the center of Europe, apparently, uh, it's somewhere that, yeah, there was a lot of wars and battles and changing hands of things. So, all right, quick, super mega history roundup. Uh, humans first settled in the region about 10,000 BC as the Ice Age ended. So the ice receded and people went, oh, we can live here now. Cool. All right. Let's do that. Let's do that. So mainly starting as hunter-gatherers, eventually domesticating cattle around 3000 BC. And at that point, those early settlers uh, got overtaken by Baltic tribes, which had also come from sort of around that region, but uh, not exactly the same place. Uh, it's, it's way too complicated to try and explain no, the ancient it's history. Keep moving. It switched over. Agriculture began once the Baltic tribes turned up. Most of them came south of Lithuania, so they'd already started doing the agriculture stuff. And 
Lithuanian and Latvian people, uh, their shared common ancestors are the Baltic tribes who obviously killed, up, killed off all the locals who were there before. Yep, that's how it happens. As happens, or integrated with and killed the ones they didn't want to integrate with. And they you know what I mean by integrate? They kept the pretty ones. Yes, that, that's what I mean by integrate. <laughs> and their languages diverged from there. Uh, they're both based off Indo-European languages, apparently, but mm. Latvian diverged a little bit from Lithuania. Jumping straight forward, because the rest of the stuff is pa- people just having babies and doing farming. Uh, jumping straight to the 9th <laughs> to 12th centuries AD. Uh, this is when Lithuanian tribes began to unite and conquer the surrounding regions, eventually organizing and forming the Grand Duchy of Lithuania in the 13th century. And at that time, the Grand Duchy of Lithuania was the last pagan nation in Europe. Yes, this is this something is they important. will tell you about a lot, yes. So, yeah, they had not taken on any Christianity, even after Rome having been Christian for like, what, 800 years at yeah, that point? D- something like time. that. Uh, 700 years. They were like, nah, nah, we like our like nymphs and beer gods. Yes, there is a beer god. There is. We might talk about that at another point. So, yeah, last pagan nation. They did then eventually end up having to adopt Christianity in for 1387. Shirts. For sure. We were told that they, they were like, hey, you, if you turn over to Christians, we will give you a nice woolen shirt. And they were like, dang, woolen shirts. A free woolen shirt. And all I have to do is disavow my old gods and take up Christianity. They're like, they'll forgive me for a woolen shirt. Yeah, come, come on. on. I they look, understand. I look fly. Everyone loves shirts. So apparently a couple of people reconverted a couple of times and they, you know, got themselves a, a mini wardrobe of woolen shirts. Ah, yes. Multiple conversions. Why not? Uh, yeah, apparently that will happen in 1387, or at least started when the Grand Duke of Lithuania at that time went, okay, it's Christian now. We're Christian now. There was like little back and forth stuff with the whole becoming Christian, not becoming Christian thing. Yeah. But he was like, yeah, this is happening now. And yet it's actually documented that Christian monks who were coming there basically as missionaries to help fulfill that promise of becoming a Christian nation. They were so eager to convert people that they would exchange gifts for baptism, which is the free woolen shirt. Uh-huh. So they're like, okay, come in, come in. We're just going to dip you in some water. Then you get a free shirt. And you're like, sweet. Sweet. Done. Uh, at a similar time to this, in 1385, the Grand Duke of Lithuania married the Queen of Poland to form a union between the two. Ah, so that's what we were talking about that's before. That's the first union. That's when that happened. They went, okay, we're not going to fight each other. We're going to make love, not war. Yep. Marry it up. Classic European strategy. Yep. Pretty sweet. As long as, you know, at least at that point in time, they were like from different families, at least. It hadn't got too mishy-mashy. Yeah, because, I mean, at least all of those pagans to the east would not have been dilly-dallying so much with the Christians to the west. Exactly. So, they're like, okay, we haven't dilly-dallied yet. Nice Let's clean bloodlines going on there. Yeah, which could be why they were successful for a while, because they, they didn't have all messed up genes. Who knows? After this point... That union between the two countries became the Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth from 1569 to 1795 at its peak in the 16th century. So at the start was when it was really like they joined forces straight away and like were, were huge. And that time it stretched from the Baltic Sea up in the north all the way down to the Black Sea, past Ukraine and down to the Black yeah, so Sea. So that's a massive amount of, of land and territory that they oh, conquered. Well, not conquered, but they... I don't have the specific numbers, but I think at the time during its absolute peak, it was considered the largest like Commonwealth, like land area of one country, of one joint country. I've never heard of it until we actually went there. No, I need to brush up on my history. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yeah, at that point, yeah, stretching all the way up to South Estonia. So actually, Northern Estonia, like Tallinn, quite a famous town in Mm -hmm. North Estonia, uh, city probably. 
that wasn't. That was never Lithuanian. Oh. Because I guess they were protected more from the Swedish side, I think. Fin- Finland, Sweden, Scandinavia. I think I, I, so I didn't read up on that because it's not in Lithuania. Yeah. So I was like, okay. Not important. But yeah, I think that sort of area was still protected from the north. So they never actually took it. Or they had, maybe they had an arrangement. I don't know. But Latvia was completely part of Lithuania at that point. Even if the languages were separated, mm-hmm. they, they still had a common boss. The Duke was still bossing them around. Yep. Belarus entirely. And parts of Russia, which are now Russia, mm-hmm. and obviously Lithuania and Poland as well. Now, this Commonwealth was partitioned in 1795, with much of the eastern land being taken by Russia. So those areas that we know as Russia today might not technically have been Russia before, because they were really sort of Lithuanian yeah. duchy. But because they're now borders, their borders are very much like this is in Russia. We sort of see it as being Russian, but it might not actually have been as Russian back then. But yeah. now it definitely is. And most of modern day Lithuania was also completely taken by Russia. So this is pre-Soviet Union. This is the Russian Empire. uh, The Romanovs and all those. The Romanovs and stuff. And so, of course, this lasted right up until 1918 when the First World War ended. The Romanovs got murdered. There was a massive revolution. Russian Revolution. This affects all of those regions, of course. If you know any history of that area, Georgia and... Moldova and everyone who's had Soviet Union issues in the last hundred years, this is definitely one of the reasons why. Oh, the first war is Nicholas, what did you do? So what happened was actually Lithuania was always fighting for independence. Like they always wanted to be independent since they got partitioned in 1795. And then in 1918, when they were finally in a position to be independent, they fully were like, we are now independent. Screw you all. Yeah. So between World War I and World War II, Lithuania was pretty much independent, but they had a massive fail when it came to adopting democracy. It went horribly wrong. So actually from 1926, by the time they sort of fought it out and tried to get a government, the government that took over was an authoritarian government. Uh... So that was that. And they they were literally living in a 1984-style authoritarian state. Yeah. So that was pretty rubbish. A 1984 state in 1926. They were well ahead of the times on them. that one, being controlled. They just didn't have as many security cameras to see what everyone was doing. Yep. But, you know, you couldn't say the wrong thing about the wrong people, all that usual authoritarian stuff. When World War II broke out, Russia took its opportunity to instantly reoccupy Lithuania as quickly as possible. And then the Nazis turned up in 1941 and they captured the region. And then 1944, 1945, end of Second World War, the Red Army from Russia pushed back and retook Lithuania. And at that point, you know, we know what happened. World War II, Nazis didn't do very well. And Russia got all of those countries in that region. Until 1990. And Lithuania was the first Soviet state to declare independence in March 1990 as the Cold War ended. They were... Because they've been fighting for independence since 1795. Yep. So they had not been lying down the whole time. As soon as they saw the cracks in the they Soviet were, Union, they were like, we're this. out. Yep. Yeah. Bye. I mean, that's tricky because 1795 to 1990, yeah, like 200 years, it was still known enough that they had been one of the most powerful regions, the most powerful region, or at least the most, the largest region of one country in Europe. For so long, yeah. Or for like, they had a proud history to be subvert, like to be taken over by the Russians for so long. The people had the identity, and they weren't giving it up. Yeah, which I, I find incredible. When you, I mean, you see it in a lot of countries, especially you know post-Soviet countries today. But yeah, that was a really long time to hold on to your 
uh, nationalistic identity and passed down traditions and, and everything like that. So, you know, go Lithuania. Yep. So when it comes to culinary history, most of the most popular dishes in the country are based on either a few historic ingredients like rye, anything pork-based, dairy-based, yeah. and herring, <laughs> and just North Sea fish in general. Yeah. And also a huge amount of staples today, as we were joking about before, based on potatoes. It really is a potato country. Yeah, it really they is. love potatoes. I hope they won't mind me saying that it's funny that they love potatoes so much. I think they have a good sense I, of humor about it. I think they'll be like, yeah, we do. Yep. They really do yep. love they potatoes really do. more than anywhere else I've ever been. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. The Irish can forget it. Oh, they got nothing on Lithuania. Nothing. Uh, some other typical products that grow locally, beetroot, uh, mushrooms, because- Oh, the wild mushrooms are lovely. Of wild mushrooms, because Lithuania is known for its forests. So, of course, with that forest landscape also comes lots of different berries, lingonberries, blueberries, cranberries. And being a cold weather country, pickled vegetables are, of course, very popular because everything grows in the summer and then they got to pickle it up to keep it for all winter. Mm -hmm. uh, the five ethnographic regions of Lithuania are proud of their respective dishes. So they all have things that they're like, well, this actually comes from this district. I haven't figured out for every dish that we're going to talk about exactly which district every single dish comes from, but some of them I've managed to discern. But just a, a very quick introduction to the five regions, which I will pronounce so badly it will be Hilarious. Sorry, Lithuania. Okay. Augstaisiel. They're famous for their pancakes, curd products, and pastries. Mm -hmm. Zukai, with their dishes made from mushrooms, buckwheat, and of course, potatoes. Everyone's potatoes. Of course. Suvalchichal. Wow, that's a hard yeah. one. Famous for their sausages and their potato sausages that we'll talk about later. Mm -hmm. And sweet soups. To, ah. Rather than sour soups, because yep. of course sour soups are popular in Eastern Europe. And Zemaichel, who are famous for their castinis, which is like a buttered sour cream. Talk about that in the next part of this episode, because I loved that. <laughs> uh, also famous for crayfish and porridge. And then, of course, the areas just along the coastline, which are just known for fish, because they're fishing cultures. That makes sense. So, yeah, we're going to talk about some specific dishes later on. So, although during more historic times, back in the 15th to 18th century before the Russians took over, the nobility was known for eating a relatively healthy diet that was based off sort of like game meats, honey, mushrooms, fresh vegetables and berries, and yeah, so wild meats that were not too heavy and that sort of thing. Yeah, they were eating actually a relatively healthy diet. And then today, it's like the diet there is so insanely carb heavy. Yeah. Well, it's just pork and potatoes is like the main dishes. And sour cream. And lots of sour cream. I mean, they've always had sour cream. But yeah, the, the, like the diet, at least for the noble class, which are the people we know about, they didn't write as much down about the peasant class as to what they were eating. Yeah. But they would have probably been eating dairy for sure and soups because soups are cheap. Yeah, the diet was actually relatively thoughtful and healthy back then. But then they must Russia have had good heating because yeah. <laughs> definitely in the colder months, because we were there in December, and I definitely was like, "Give me the carbs!" I'm like I will eat all the taters because they're gonna warm me up and put a nice layer of fat on me. I mean, obviously, the noble class is a very poor representation of the general diet of any country because it's like one percent, two percent of everybody, exactly. probably one percent, as always. 
But that's what people wrote about, and people didn't write I mean, about. I mean, you know, it's not like that. I mean, every Henry VIII was a notorious glutton, so you know, for a nobility class to actually be like, yes, we're going to eat a healthy diet and not just feed our face with whatever we can to like the ultimate decadence. I think it just so happened that you know they had local produce that wasn't too unhealthy, and so they just went, well, this is what we eat. Yep. This is good. But what happened was, of course, then food scarcity led to major problems. And it was like, well, we eat what we've got, and potatoes and lard is what we've got that's cheap. Yep. So, we're going to do potatoes and fats. And it survives. Yes, and it survives today because, of course, right up until 1990, there were a lot of people living on a very, very poor sort of income. Soviet income was not great. No. So, you've got to do what you can with what you got. So, yeah, today's love of potatoes in Lithuania is not necessarily down to just a we love potatoes, although now it is, it's just become ingrained in society, but it really was down to scarcity and just being a product that people could actually grow easily and afford from the 19th century onwards. And we're going to talk a little bit about the history of the potato, because literally it's the most important thing in Lithuania now. Yeah. So I thought we're not going to do a full history of the potato in general, but the history of potatoes in Lithuania, I did a bit of research. It's actually quite interesting. Yeah, I'd be interested to know how they got there from, you know, from Central South America and made their way all the way over. Yeah. I, and what's interesting is it did not start off as a popular product at all. It was very unpopular. So how did it become so incredibly popular? When they already had things like rye bread before, and they loved rye bread. Rye bread is good. They loved rye bread. Rye was their classic, their classic thing that they had as uh, carbs. Yep. So why switch? And then to they do that dirty thing where they fry the rye bread with like with garlic and stuff. It's really naughty. Mm, yeah, I'm going to talk about that later on as well. Yeah. All right. So why and how did potatoes become such an iconic part of Lithuanian culinary landscape? And which are the most important potato dishes to try when you go to Lithuania? That's exactly what we're going to talk about for the rest of this episode. And then in the next episode, we're going to talk about lots of things that are not made of potatoes. Wonderful. Because there is actually a lot of food to talk about, and there is quite a lot of interesting stories behind some of these dishes. So we are splitting this into a two-parter for sure. Because otherwise, it's going to be like a two-hour episode or something crazy. Yeah. So, although potatoes arrived to Europe in the 16th century and had definitely become an essential staple in West Europe from the mid-18th century onwards, their uptake in Eastern Europe was a little slower going than that, for sure. Uh, They were considered much of a rarity at first, expensive and completely inaccessible to to peasants. Yeah. We were like, nah, we can't afford potatoes, we can't afford to grow them. exotic food. Yeah, and from the Americas, yeah. Exactly, but I mean, they weren't even planting them or anything. They literally were not interested. Uh, from 1569, potatoes were first being cultivated at the Botanical Garden in Rochloch, or Rochlaw, or Rochlaw, because that's Poland, but no one can pronounce that word. Oh, Warsaw. No, no, it's not Warsaw. Oh. Rochlaw. Oh, it is actually rock. Yeah. I don't know. Someone tried to like tell me how to say Warsaw one time, rock. and it sounded similar to that. Uh, Sorry, I, Poland. No one can. Poland, please update your language a bit. Come on. I think you ask any Polish person, any and they will tell you it is like the hardest language in the world. It's insane. Anyway, to an English person looking at this word, it looks like rocklaw or roklaw. Oh, okay. I know what you're talking about. Yep. Which is in the south of Poland, um, but I believe the pronunciation could be something like Rauklow, but. Um, 
I, we spoke to someone about this who was Polish and he's like, there's like three different pronunciations even in Polish for that place. Yeah. Like literally no one, the locals can't agree. There's like three different pronunciations. So don't just blame me for getting it wrong. <laughs> blame each other for confusing international visitors. Uh, so at this point in 1569, it was mainly potato was being used as medicines by apothecaries. This be like, hey, this new thing from the new world will definitely be a cure for stuff. Rub a potato Because you it. don't know what it is. So, and it's expensive. So, here we go. We'll fix everything with potatoes. Accidentally cut your finger off? Grab a potato on it. So, obviously, at that point, Poland was part of the Lithuanian Poland Polish Commonwealth. So, that's why it's completely relevant. By the late 17th century, John III, or the third John of Solbiski, from 1629 to 1696, uh, he was the king of the Polish and Lithuanian Commonwealth at that time, and he decided he would be serving up potatoes at royal events. So, sometime around 1629 uh, that makes to 1696. Sense. It's always like a king or someone popular that's like, you know what, I'm going to yep. serve this dish, and then all the, the other people go, I want to be cool like him. And eventually this helped the idea of eating potatoes spread to the rest of the nobility, and then everyone was like, why do the nobles get to eat that? We don't get to eat that. Anyway, that was just part of the start of the story. That wasn't the end of the story. But there was a cookbook released by someone whose name I will also get wrong, Stanislaw Czesnerici, his compendium of collection of dishes. His collection of dishes published in 1682 lists potatoes, among other unusual dishes like oyster, frog, and snails. Uh. Like, let's use these with random things. Isn't it funny? Because today, like, you would probably still consider oyster, frog, and snails to be a more interesting dish. But the potatoes became mainstream. <laughs> yeah. It included a potato recipe, two potato recipes in this book. So this is a simple recipe. The first one, wrap potatoes in rough linen and cook them in ashes. So basically, that's oh, what we potato. do today. Just baked potato in, in the barbecue. Good old-fashioned baked potato. That's, that's pretty much it. And then you can just add butter and salt. That was the recipe. <laughs> I mean, how easy was it to write a cookbook in 1682? Cook a potato. <laughs> add butter and salt. Bam! Serve it to the king. <laughs> Serve it to the king. And they're like, ooh. <laughs> Let's face it. Baked potato with butter and salt from the barbecue. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. It's great. So... You can't really go too wrong with that. Yeah. And you could also uh, put a bit of lemon on them, apparently. They want to put a bit of lemon on them. Oh, Which right. is, I mean, that's, that's classic with potatoes in Europe, adding a bit of lemon juice. You oh, that's, it. oh, yeah, Watch yeah. Portugal and Greece and Mediterranean, they love it. Uh, his other dish was just called fish with potatoes. First boil or fry the potatoes and then serve them with fish. <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> that's the recipe. Well, he does go on to explain what sort of fish to cook. Yeah. He was like, oh, I'll do the fish with wine and salt and pepper and butter and stuff. But yeah, he's like, um, and this is a potato recipe that where you serve it on the side of fish. It feels like the sort of recipes you get today where you look up how to make some sort of cake and it's like, get your vanilla, you know, bacon easy cake mix. And yeah. it's like, no, I wanted to. <laughs> and then add milk. Then add milk and eggs. Which is already written on the box. Yeah. So why do I need to look online to find the recipe for this cake? <laughs> It kind of feels like the same thing. We all know it's food bloggers accepting money to post a terrible, terrible ad on their site. Yeah. Just, uh, this is the only reason anyone's posting a how to use a cake mix recipe, ugh. acting like it's a real cake recipe when it's a cake mix recipe. 
They better be getting paid because, honestly, if people are just out doing that, shame. Oh, come on. They must be getting paid. All right. So, yes, the nobles, after all of this shenanigans with the potatoes, started to include lots more potatoes in their fancy diets. And peasants in the Catholic Lithuanian church at the time still didn't believe them. They thought it was a conspiracy. Like, some considered it actually to be sabotage by the Protestant potato eaters from the West. Because obviously potatoes were already very popular in Germany, and the Catholics in Lithuania are actually recorded as saying that they thought it was a way to trick them into being poisoned. Because, I mean, the outside of potatoes, if you let them go old and they get green, is actually poisonous. Yeah. So, like, technically, and they yes. Have real- yeah, so- if you've left it in storage for a year and started trying to eat a green potato, you can get sick. I mean, you're probably not going to die, but you can get sick. So, it's quite easy why that happened a few times, and then you're like, well... I'm not touching st- that. Not listen to Stanislaw. His, his recipes are obviously lies. Must be the Protestant. He's a Protestant. Listen to his name. He must be a Protestant. So, apparently, that's, that's what happened. They were like, nah, these nobles, they're trying to trick us into eating potatoes. I don't know what their game is, but we're not going to believe it. Don't believe the power. It's just like today. They didn't even need a YouTube channel to believe it. They're no, just- no. Don't need YouTube. Ancient YouTube is just having a chat. Having a chat. Three hours talking about the evil of potatoes. Mm, yes, very evil. It's slowly going to change, of course, because now it's potato craziness. But just for an example, back in 1801, the owner of one important manor called Gruzjai Manor, uh, he ordered his peasants to sow 245,000 litres of rye, 162,000 litres of oats, 125,000 litres of barley, and only 22,000 litres of potatoes. So he was one of the early adopters. He's like, yeah, we're going to do potatoes, but not a lot. Yeah. Just a little bit. So, yeah, and that's in 1801, and they're still like, nah, nah. Protestant sabotage. No, he knows potatoes, mate. Not going to eat O's. I mean, I know it's not a Lithuanian accent. That's, that's just a general accent of people dissenting, I think. Okay. okay. <laughs> just like, just yeah, no, mate, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do that. Fists sort of raised like and all. Angry, angry cockney. Yep. So, nah, nah, not going to eat any of that. I believe you. So that, that's my angry voice now for this episode, which is fun. Also, how many of these people in the beginning didn't actually realize that you had to cook a potato and just took a bite out of a potato? And then that tastes horrible. I mean, I think most people realized after one bite that taking a bite out of a potato was not a good plan. Yeah. That was an easy one to But, but I spread. mean, like, I'm, how many people just didn't go back after that? took a bite out of a potato, went, ew. It was the olden days. People took a bite. They didn't go back. Then they died. And then the kids were like, did dad ever eat a bite of that? Don't remember. I'll give it took a go. Took a bite, died. I feel sorry for the people that first took a bite of an onion. Going, oh, what's this? I'll give it a try. The onions have been around for so long. I don't even know when that could possibly have been. They were like stone age. Yep. But there would have been some caveman that came out and took a bite of an onion. Yeah. <laughs> oh, caveman Bob took a bite of onion. <laughs> Decided not to wear it on his belt. All right. <laughs> it wasn't the style at the time. Wasn't the style at the time. Not in the Stone Age. Random <laughs> Simpsons reference there for anyone who remembers that episode. Okay. So from 1801 onwards, the potato planting increased and it became a mass staple by the middle of the 19th century. And some sources although this is a little bit controversial, but I think it's probably accurate, uh, confirmed that the rapid increase of the potato crop was actually because the wheat and rye crops that were growing in the region had multiple successive years where they failed. So it was around, 19, uh, uh, around 1844, 1845, 1846, I think, were the years that they, they agree on. 
like literally two or three years in a row, those crops failed. Yeah. And it was just mass starvation when that happens. Like on, when there's a mass crop failure. Oh, yeah. It's more than one year in a row. Like one year in a row that most cultures seem to be able to handle it at that point. But more than one year in a row. Absolutely not. Everyone's dying. So they're like, what can we grow that actually lets us have food? That's sturdy. And they just were like, okay, this will grow. Yeah. Because there was no disease at that point. Obviously in Ireland around about the same time or a little bit after that, the potato blight happened and that was a nightmare but far enough away from lithuania that lithuania didn't get affected at that point so not at the same time yeah for them so that's why they switched and then they're like okay well now we've got loads of potatoes what are we going to do with them better invent some potato foods because otherwise we've got nothing to eat yeah because if you eat the raw potato you know dad died that sort of stuff <laughs> and the protestants trying to kill us yeah so yeah that sort of stuff so that's pretty much the reason why it probably happened if that three years of sort of almost famine it, and definite famine happened- It wouldn't have happened, become as popular as it is today. No, I mean, at some point it could have happened anyway. It could have happened 20 years later, 30 years later, 20 years before. I mean, yeah. who knows with these sorts of- someone finally fried a potato and people went, dang, yeah. this is uh, my jam. This is but so it, it was just a mass shift in opinion. The second everyone was really hungry, they're like, got any little potatoes? Yeah, exactly. Got those potatoes. Okay. Don't know what that accent was about. I don't know. That's- that was just a potatoes accent. <laughs> was like, potatoes. That was a taters accent. Yeah, the potatoes. I love my potatoes. Yeah, I think that's a potatoes accent. All right. So that's that. All right. So that's sort of the history of potatoes. The rest, is, the rest after that is obvious stuff. They grew potatoes and they made potato dishes. So it's not really history anymore. Yep. But we're going to talk about the actual dishes. And if you want some restaurant suggestions... For Vilnius, the capital of Lithuania, then go check out our full article, foodfuntravel.com slash Lithuania podcast, where we list all the dishes in this episode, the next episode, and other dishes that aren't talked about on the podcast, including some places to go eat them. Some yes. good traditional restaurants where we had some fantastic Yeah, there were some lovely little food. restaurants that we visited. Yeah, it was awesome sauce. All right, let's talk about Lithuania's national potato dish, Sepelinai. Yes. Uh, Zeppelini is... Which a lot of people just call Zeppelins, don't they? They call them Zeppelins for the benefit of foreigners. Yes. But, but, you know, people need to hear both names, otherwise they will get confused. Zeppelini, Zeppelins, these are the names for this dish. It's a spherical oval-shaped potato dough ball that's made from a mix of cooked potato and raw grated potato. So it looks like a Zeppelin. It looks a bit like a Zeppelin balloon thing, balloon killing, whatever they use those for. They were, they were just helium balloons. They did it for like tourism purposes and lots of different things. I think they things. were hydrogen and that's why they exploded. Well, one, it, the, one famously. The one that exploded and then they went, should we still use hydrogen to make this float? Perhaps not. I think that was the problem. It was hydrogen. It was massively dangerous. Yes. But anyway, so yeah, these balls that look a bit like uh, the shape of a Zeppelin, they're stuffed with pork and it's potato. And then they cover it with stuff at the end like... Lard sauce <laughs> or sour cream. Uh, sometimes they fill it with other ingredients like mushrooms or curd cheese instead of meat. But the original one was probably meat. Yeah. Although it might not have been because in the mid 19th century, there might not have been enough meat, meat to do that. Meat would have been scarce. It probably so they, would have been more likely to be mushrooms. Yeah. Or curd cheese. Yeah. Because curd cheese would be cheap, fresh, easy to make for anyone who owned a cow. Definitely. And had any milk access. Yeah. Curd cheese might have been the original, but there's no sort of record on this that I can tell. Yeah. The meat is definitely the most popular one when it's stuffed with pork. But these things are pretty big. These aren't like a little potato dumpling. They're, they're like the size of your fist. Definitely like solid size. 
and they are super oh, dense and filling. Yeah. I mean, that's one thing I have to warn everyone about. You think, and sometimes like you can look at like the price of how much the Zeppelinas okay. are and think, oh, that won't be too big. They are huge. Like, you need to order one dish between two people and you will get two big Zeppelinas. I, we were sitting at a restaurant one time and this guy obviously ordered one for himself. And I think his girlfriend, ordered, I think they ordered one each. Or one plate. One plate each. Which is a portion, which is at least two. Is at least two. A portion is at least two. And their faces almost fell on the floor because they are huge. So, yeah, probably for the best if you just, just to start off with, order one plate between two people and you will get two Zeppelinas on that yeah. one plate. At least as big as my fist, like an adult male fist, yeah, not a small child's fist. These, these are big fist foods. Big fists. And, yeah, at least two. And the potato, and they did tell us about this when we were there, like the variety of potatoes that they grow in Lithuania are particularly starchy. So, this potato is super dense. Yeah. It's insane. It, it, and it doesn't have, like, the texture you would imagine from, like, like a baked potato or, or a roast potato or, or anything like potato. that. Or a boiled potato. Or a boiled potato. It's like a dense, thick, stodge mix of potato that's been re, con, like, re, like, mixed together to be more dense than it originally was. Yeah. That's why they, like, grated potato and taken mashed potato and then mix that together to make it more dense than the original potato. Yep. So, they're, like, insane. big, firm stodge balls. Filled with meat and covered in sour cream. Delicious. And lard. Oh, and lard. Don't forget the lard. Crispy yeah. lard bacony bits yeah. is normally the classic mm. with lots of extra lard. So, yeah, this is very filling. You can order a half portion, but as Megzi said, normally, even in a mid-priced restaurant, it's maybe on the menu for like four fifty or five euros yep. for a portion of two. And you think like, oh, yeah, that's fine. No, that's not. <laughs> Share that and then order something more healthy on the side, maybe. So... In the 19th century, these were first made, probably in the mid-19th century, along with the, the potato craze that happened, and yep. everyone went mad on potatoes. Of course, it was designed as a way to fill people up. That is why it is so calorie-rich and dense. And of I course, said, good you, for the winter. Yeah, if you're trying to survive a harsh Lithuanian winter, you need something pretty insane. Back then, they were called zidskukuliai. That word means dumbbells. Ah. So it's possible they were round originally. Yep. Maybe, maybe not. No one seems to know. But it was actually in 1900 that they were renamed Zeppelina after the Zeppelin airship. Yep. That's what happened. So it, they're not shaped that way necessarily because they were originally shaped or preempted the Zeppelin, but actually they went, oh, that Zeppelin thing's cool. Let's yep. call them this. Why not? So maybe they changed the shape a little bit. Maybe it was just a coincidence that they were already shaped like that. And they went like, well, they look like that. That's a good nickname. Let's call them that. And that's pretty much it. That's the history of it. They probably used to be a different shape and then, yeah. Yep. Or not. And, and that dish you'll probably, it, it is the dish to try when you are in Lithuania. Definitely, it'll be on the menus. It'll be the thing that people will talk about. You know, the, you know if you meet a local, they'll be like, have you tried the Zeppelins yet? Yeah. Uh, definitely a dish to try while you were there. But yeah, take heed of my warning, people. It is massive. Yeah, super filling. And if you want to fit in other things, then you, you really, especially with a lot of this food in Lithuania, if you want to be able to try multiple dishes and you're only there for a limited amount of time, you've really got to pay attention to like what your order size is because you'll, you'll just overdo it so easily. So easily. Just, this is, we learned the hard way. 
yeah. passing on our knowledge from ordering stuff and going, we can't possibly eat all this. This is yeah. insane. I think by our last day there, when we went in for lunch, we literally ordered like an app, like a mini appetizer, like a pre-appetizer. Yeah. One main course and one dessert. And, and it is one it. of those places where the, the waiter will be like, are oh, you, are you sure? sure? You sure you, you don't want more? And you and then you'll you'll doubt yourself and you'll be like, oh, maybe it won't be enough. If it's not enough, you can always order more. These are the restaurant rules. You can always order more unless it's like one in the morning and the kitchen's closed. Exactly. Don't trust the wait staff when they're all like, are you sure that's enough? Yes, it's enough. You can always order more later. The amount of desserts I didn't eat because the people in Lithuania were like, are you sure? I remember when we started this podcast, you used to proclaim how you didn't really like desserts. And now it's, I would have ordered desserts, <laughs> but wait stuff always I, made me order too many main courses. It's not that I don't like desserts. I don't have a massive sweet tooth. So, I, yeah, every now and then I, I want a dessert, especially if there's like cheesecake or something with apple in it. Yeah, that's true. That's good things. Yep. All right, let's move on to the next dish. Uh, vedarai. Which is Lithuanian potato sausage. It's a poor man's sausage because you couldn't get any meat to put in your sausage, so we're putting potato in it. It's all about the using your imagination when you're poor. Yeah, you close your eyes and you eat it and you go like, oh, maybe it's like a sausage. Yeah. But it's potato. But, I, I mean, they're sort of cool. And actually, I really liked this dish. It was tasty, yeah. I really enjoyed it. Once again, it's finely grated potato. Or finely grated potato mixed with a little bit of mash that's been cooked already. And they stuff it inside a pork intestine casing. Yep. So the same as you would a sausage. It literally is just potato stuffed inside sausage casing. That's it. Super straightforward. So I guess from the casing, you might get a little flavor well, of we the did. pork from And that? that's yeah. why I really liked it. Yeah. And of course, just like the other dish, they also pour lard and crispy bacon on top of it. At the end, or at least these days they do. I don't know if they yeah, used to do that. Yeah, maybe back in the day when they had to make potato sausages. But it's sort of a fun dish because it really does look like a sausage, but it's just yellow. Yeah. It's yellow sausage. And then, yeah, the, the salty intestine and lardy bits and crispy bits on top. And you're like, eh, it was this is actually really good. Yeah. I really liked it. One restaurant I read on their menu, they described this dish as poop out, potatoes in. <laughs> Which is not the... And I, I've substituted... Oh, <laughs> oh, no. The imagery. The imagery. I substituted the word poop on their menu. It actually uses a different, more expletive word that is not suitable for our oh, podcast rating. Oh, no. That's on their menu. It's written on their menu. That's hilarious. Not kidding. But, you know, that's good that all the poop's out because they've, they've cleaned the intestines Thank correctly. Thank you for that. I do appreciate when they get rid of all the poop from my intestine casings. Because trust me, I've had sausages in France where they did not get rid of all of the poop. And that was horrific. Blech. You'll never look at Andouille sausages again uh, after you've had them with I'm poop I'm not going to look at sausages the same way again. Well, these are potato sausages, so, you know, this is not something that I've seen anywhere else, really, apart from Lithuania. No, well, no. in that region. No, so, yeah. yeah. I don't think it's something you're going to have to look at very often. And that's it. So, lard and stuff on top, or, uh, or sour cream as well, or both. Yep. 
course, classic condiments. So yeah, definitely try it out. I really like the potato sausage. And even if you're not a fan of intestine, you've probably been eating it your whole life if you eat beef. Ew, and if you've ever been to a fast food restaurant. Yeah. So you've just been eating it anyway. And actually it makes it taste pretty good. I don't like to just sit down and eat a plate of intestines, which we did do in Hong Kong, like intestine hot pot. Yeah. And I was like, eh, just by themselves, stewed a bit. Yeah, not great. But in a sausage form where they've gone crispy on when the outside. When it's an encasing, it's, it's often quite palatable. Yeah, works out pretty well. All right, this next one is Bulvio Plokstanis. Plokstanis. More commonly known around the rest of the world as Kugel or Kugelis. Anyone who's from the US has probably heard of this because this originally is probably based on a Jewish dish. We're going to talk about that little history as we go through this little section. This is literally a potato pie. It's very dense baked casserole style pie made from, once again, grated potatoes mm-hmm. mixed with bacon and also onion, milk and eggs to turn it into a sort of stodge. Yep. And yeah, that's it. It's just a big stodge baked in the oven. Nice. It was great. I loved it. I mean, because it's got, it's got lard and bacon yeah, in it. Yeah, it's got all those things you like. So, I mean, I don't think you're going to... We didn't actually d- dislike any of these dishes no. because it's, it's great. It's Potato really, is great. Yeah. Of course, they love it. I just can't eat this every day because I will have a heart attack. Yeah. But I mean, it's lots of dense potato with bacon and stuff in it. Yeah, and it's great. it goes crispy on the top once it's been baked in the oven properly. Uh, nothing wrong with this at all. Very, very good. But yeah, bit of a surprising origin story for this one. Wasn't expecting when I started researching. As I said, it's other name. In Lithuania and around the rest of the world is kugel or kugelis. Especially in Lithuania, kugelis is the more common form that they use. And it was a Jewish favorite, for sure. It's almost certainly based on a Jewish dish. From the 13th to 14th century, there was a pretty large Jewish community in Lithuania uh, known as the Litvaks. And when we went on the tour, uh, when we went on the walking tour around Lithuania, around Vilnius... The guide explained that like, this was the area where the synagogue used to be before World War II and all of this stuff. So, mm-hmm. yeah, obviously the World War II story is horrific and that's not really the subject of our podcast. So we're not going to touch on that, but we do acknowledge that bad things, very bad things happened. There was a very, very vibrant Jewish community there and then there was not. Yeah, it was that. not. It did not go well in that area for people living there who I were have Jewish. To say about that. Uh, the modern Lithuanian version of this dish, of course, as we said, it includes pork and bacon and lard. So obviously not kosher. So this is a, an adaption of the earlier Jewish dish. The strangest thing about its history is that the, the original kugel, and probably anyone who's listening to this who's from New York, from my research, will probably know this already. Anyone who's Jewish will know this already. The original kugel was not made with potatoes at all. Uh, so the the new dish is the potato pie version of Kugel. It completely evolved from its original conception because, of course, there were no potatoes in Europe. Yeah. Until much more recently. So the word Kugel comes from German, meaning ball or sphere. And the very first Kugel would actually have been a bread dumpling thrown into stews. Oh, that makes sense. So like sense. a floury or like old bread squeezed up into a ball and thrown into stews or like a floury mix thrown into stews. I mean... And I love those sorts of dumplings. They're popular oh, yeah. in England too. Yep. And I don't know since when, so I don't know who invented them like for the very first time. But yeah, the original kugel was nothing to do with a baked potato dish at all. It was like, it was bread dumplings thrown in stew to cook. Yeah. Which are awesome. But yeah, it's such a, it was such a strange thing reading this. We're like, it's the same dish. 
Yeah, had the same name had an evolution for a very long time. But the reason for this is because it was actually very rare for the average person back in the day to have anything like an oven in their home. No one had an oven. If you wanted to get something baked, you had to go to your local bakery. And I mean, we lived in Morocco, and this was true there. Now, yep. If you wanted to get your, no one had the full oven at home. They would take their tray of dough to the local bakery and pay them a dollar or so, and they would bake the whole tray of bread, and that was all their bread for the family for the next day or so. So, yeah, this was a tradition back then as well and has continued. Obviously, now people have ovens in their homes, but back then no one did. So, of course, there was no baked dish. Everyone was stewing stuff at home. And somewhere around the 13th century, this dish evolved from being bread dumplings thrown into stew into a sort of vermicelli or barfel, like a thin pasta, sort of balled up together and then steamed above the stew hmm. rather than thrown in where it would obviously fall apart. Yeah. So I guess they would have mixed that with eggs and it would like be like an eggy, eggy sort of noodle ball. I mean, you could probably throw that in. Maybe if it was dense enough, you could throw that in the stew as well. But I, the sources I've read on this seem to think that probably it was steamed, steamed. above the stew, yep. which makes sense because that's nice and easy to do. And from this point on, a lot of different varieties came into existence. They went away from just having the savory styles of bread, salty bread, to having sweet versions, which are made with curd cheese, cinnamon, and raisins, mm. which is nothing like this potato no, nothing at all. At all. <laughs> but eventually, once the potato fear had subsided from the peasants in the 19th century, potato became an easy and obvious cheap replacement for pasta. And those areas of Eastern Europe that were the most dirt poor and had absolutely nothing else to use, almost certainly at that point, they switched from using noodles to potatoes and it became a potato bake. And I actually found this random folk song, the translation from Yiddish. So there's definitely still a Jewish connection. This folk song goes, Sunday potatoes, Monday potatoes, Tuesday and Wednesday potatoes, Thursday and Friday potatoes, but Shabbos for a change, potato kugel. (laughs) 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 This is an actual, this is the lyrics to a song. I don't know what the melody is, so I'm just making stuff up. But I'm like, what? (laughs) Five days of the week potato and then, well, kugel. Totally different. I mean, on the Sabbath, you're not allowed to actually technically cook anything, so you have to start it the day before. Yep. So your potatoes would get overboiled if you'd just left them boiling since the day before. That's true. So obviously, you just leave this potato kugel going and cooking away slowly. Totally different. And you've got that ready for you for Saturday lunch. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's catchy lyrics, but it proves a point. <laughs> it probably could have. It was a joke song as well. So, yeah. Uh, I do, yeah, I mean, all of these things, popular culture stuff, there's a little bit of humor involved, of course. It was also around this time, sort of mid-19th century and beyond, that people actually started to have ovens at home, yeah. rather than just boiling stuff. So at this point, baking the kugelis, rather than steaming them, became a thing, because it's like, well, the oven's on anyway. Let's bake up some kugelis, use up some potatoes. So yeah, that's probably where it came from. Just like, we've started to get ovens. And the Sabbath is some time where we can't actually cook during the day, so we can just throw it in the cooling oven overnight and it'll be finished by the morning. And that's it. And now it is the potato pie. And eventually that turned into people adding bacon to it because it really is much tastier with bacon. Sorry, Jewish community, but it really is. Yeah. Now, as if you haven't had enough dense potato already, 
let's finish this episode up with one of the most famous Lithuanian dishes, or at least one of the ones that everybody seems to want to eat all the time. Potato pancakes. Yes. So dense. Too dense for me normally, stodgy, but it is super popular. Maybe you have them as a main course. Maybe you have them as a side. Maybe you have them with just like a bit of bacon on top, obviously. Or stuffed. Stuffed ones with bacon inside. Yep. Maybe with curd cheese. Like, yeah, anything you want to do with potato pancakes, totally fine. Now, obviously, lots of cultures around Europe have potato pancakes. I'm sure that... And I hope no one right now is is envisioning, like, pancakes with, like, covered in syrup and stuff like that. No, no. Not that sort of pancake, This is a savory meal. Yes. For sure. It is stodgy, potatoey, salty, savory. Fried. Yes. Either pan-fried or sometimes deep-fried, but I think normally pan-fried and flipped. Obviously, the use of potato is the recent change in the pancake history. Pancakes themselves are one of the ancient, ancient foods, obviously originally made with grains, as we do today with flour pancakes, for example. Ground wheat mixed with water and grilled on an oily rock. Archaeologists believe that as a pancake goes back to the Stone Age. Wowza. Although I would say that's not a pancake. That's just a flatbread. I I mean, I guess they're saying that because it's oiled rather than being just a hot surface. Yeah. That it's not a flatbread, but I don't know. I mean, just, it's flour and water flattened out and put on a rock. So then what makes it the difference moving into pancake? I don't know. I don't really just understand the vibe. it. The the, I think it is. It's the Marbo. It's the vibe. Yeah. I don't know what else it could possibly be. Because it doesn't seem like a fun pancake when it's basically just a dry flatbread. It's just flour and water. I mean, when we make pancakes, maybe we add butter or milk or other things like that. And obviously, potato pancakes, I suppose they're adding lard. Of course. (laughs) Or butter. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I guess the oily rock makes up the oil sort of element of this thing. So maybe. I mean, National Geographic are adamant that these were pancakes. All right. Sounds like flatbread to me. But anyway, by the times of ancient Greece, something a little bit more like a pancake was definitely present. And we might have to actually do a full episode on pancakes separately because that's, that's a bit of a topic. Oh, that, that's, that's going to be a deep dive. That's, that's, that's going to go in my dumpling pile. I don't, so, <laughs> I don't think it's dumpling worthy. I yeah. think it's a one episoder. Okay. But it is actually like a full episode of controversy and people disagreeing because it's going back to the Stone Age. Yeah, yeah. And then once you get Greece involved, then Rome's involved, and like maybe it was us, not them. Always happens. But when it comes to potato cakes and potato pancakes, specifically in the Commonwealth of Poland, Lithuania, this actually has its first mention in the 17th century at Stoszczek Warminski Christian Monastery in northeast Poland, and which is very, very close to Lithuania, modern day Lithuania. So mm-hmm. it would definitely have had a strong influence on the. Lithuanian area, they have an actual recipe that was written down. Hey! Made, they made the pancakes with one onion, two eggs, a spoonful of wheat, and that's added to a kilo of potatoes. Oh, I mean, that's quite standard recipe. It's, exactly. Yeah. But there you go. I mean, like the adding of the eggs, that's another thing. I feel like with pancakes, you normally add eggs. Yeah. Like eggs and flour, not just flour, flour and, and water. water. Mm. Like, Yeah. So even this, the pancakes made with eggs. I, and okay. I think most potato pancakes are made with eggs, right? Okay, okay. We're going to have to do an episode on yeah, the history of pancakes. You're getting quite worked up about I'm this. I'm very, very worked up about it all. This source has been a little bit difficult to verify. The story is repeated all over the place, so probably it's true. But 
I, I don't know. There's the official document, wherever that is, I can't find any definite thing, but it's a good story. Yep. And it seems oh, to make sense. Maybe they were making this stuff before potatoes became super famous, because that's what happens. Monasteries and noblemen make stuff before, and everyone else catches on later. Another competing claim for this uh, is, once again, a Jewish dish. And this is certainly possible. Most sources seem to think it wasn't really until the 19th century that traditional Jewish pancakes made with potato, the latkes. Before that, they were probably made with wheat or buckwheat which is also something that would have been happening in Lithuania. They'd have been making buckwheat pancakes. Yeah. They still have them today. It's a traditional food. So it's hard to say if the, if the other source is to be believed, then the monks were making potato pancakes in the 17th century. If not, maybe this dish was around the same sort of time as all of the other potato dishes became popular in the mid-19th century and latkes being made with potato rather yep. than It was just a natural transition of people going, now we're using potato in like, yeah. Let's give it a try in this dish. But yeah, Jewish potato pancakes, lacquers, have been associated with Hanukkah since at least the 13th century. Yeah. So although they would have been made with grains before, that's definitely a Jewish dish. Stone Age version, who knows? Probably not Jewish. I don't think there was much Judaism going on in the Stone Age. I think so. so the original inventor, hard to say. But yeah, it could have just come from that or it could have started earlier, depending on whether you believe that other source. So although the origin is unclear... The popularity in Lithuania is pretty intense. It is all over the place. And definitely, even if the dish had been invented before the mid-19th century, it's somewhere around there when the potato boom happened that it became like a mass popular dish. Everyone makes their dishes a little bit differently with their pancakes. Some of them are a bit starchy and dense, which I do not enjoy at all. Some of them are a bit thinner and crispier with little brownie bits on the outside. Those I I like. like. I do like brownie bits. I do like the thinner ones. Either way, it's going to be an intense amount of calories attacking your body. Because <laughs> that is potatoes in Lithuania. All right. So if there wasn't enough carbs for you already in this episode, there are more potato dishes to eat that we're not going to talk about. Uh, you can find out the rest of those options by going to foodfuntravel.com slash Lithuania podcast. Plus our next episode on Lithuanian food is two weeks from now or immediately, depending on when you're listening. And we're going to be talking about all the non-potato based dishes. So, there's a whole bunch of other things to eat. It's not just potatoes. Oh, no, there's heaps to eat. But we were potato crazy today, because why not? you got to try all the potato dishes. That's the thing. It's, uh, it's the thing. When you go to Lithuania and you look at a menu and there's so many potato dishes, and it is like the, the national food. So, you got to try it. So, we had to talk about it. And it's, it is good. It is good food. Just heavy. Yeah. Go in winter. You don't feel so bad when, when it's cold outside and you're eating a whole pile of stodge. Exactly. I mean, everyone loves the stodge, really. Just not all the time. Yeah. Okay, that's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining us. Of course, rate and review and all that sort of stuff. If you've enjoyed the show, if you enjoyed previous episodes, just let people know about it. Tell a friend. That's, yeah, that's what we need. That's the main thing. Just more people finding the show and then them telling other people. Word of mouth. That's the way it works. Yeah. Make it happen. And yeah, we'll be back in two weeks' time with the second part of our Lithuania Food Podcast. Thanks for listening to The Dish. Don't forget to subscribe and keep this podcast on the air by giving us a five-star review on your preferred podcast app or channel. Also, come join our foodie community on Facebook in the Food Worth Travelling For Facebook group. Catch you next time.